All right, open up, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 5. Uh, we just finished chapter 4 this morning, so we're starting chapter 5 tonight, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses in, uh, in, in chapter 5. I'm going to read those as we get started. Uh, you're going you're gonna to hear probably some, some connections, e- even some things that are identical from this morning. These two passages are very closely related to one another. They're both about the same topic. Um, uh, and, and, and so we'll be listening as we read through it and, and making some of those connections even before we get to them. Paul writes, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So in, at the end of chapter 4 from this morning, we read that the, the Thessalonians are, are, are asking questions or Paul is addressing a question that they may have had about what happens to those people who, those believers who have already died. Uh, what happens to them when the Lord returns, right? Um, and in this next passage, starting in chapter 5, verse 1, he, he's still talking about the same topic, the day of the Lord, the coming, uh, the coming day of judgment when Jesus returns. Uh, but, but there's two differences. The first one is, this morning he was talking about what happens to those who have already died. The, the topic tonight is, when will these things happen? Okay, so that's one difference. A second difference is, this morning he was talking about believers. Believers who have died in Christ, Right? Tonight, it, it, especially in the first three verses, but in, in, in this section, he's, he's addressing what's going to happen with those who are not trusting in Jesus, what's going to happen with those who are not believers. So this morning was believers who have died, what happens with, with them? Tonight, believer or unbelievers uh, who are here, what happens with them, and when will these things happen? And so he, he starts out these first couple of verses, and he tells them, you, you don't really need anyone to teach you about when this, these things are going to happen. Right? He says, now, concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need to have anything written to you. And so this could mean that Paul had, had addressed this at, at some point in the past when he was there with them. It could be that, that he uh, addressed this through Timothy at some point when Timothy went to visit them. Uh, but either way, he says that, that, that you don't need me to write you anything. But, but then, of course, kind of in, in, in the way that Paul does, he goes on and addresses it anyway, even though he says, you don't need me to, but then he does anyway, right? And, and the question here is, when are these things going to happen? Um, and, and, and people have these questions all the time, right? People, people come up with all kinds of crazy stuff about uh, uh, trying to answer this kind of question. 
Um, this was uh, right not, not too long after I was born, but, but, but back in 1988, you may remember, there was a book, or maybe it was written in 87, I don't know, but there was a book that came out that was titled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Okay? 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Obviously, the rapture wasn't in 1988, I don't think. Um, uh, if, it, if it was, then, then we're in trouble, right? Uh, but 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 this 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 one pastor was predicting it's going to happen in 1988. Um, you may remember if you were around for the Y2K scare, right, in 2000, uh, January 1st, 2000, um, where everybody was all up in arms about what's going to happen. The whole world's going to come to an end, right? All the computers are going to crash and planes are going to fall out of the sky and all these everything's going to be a disaster. Everything's going to be haywire um, in, in in 2000. A little bit more recently, uh, back in 2011, uh, there was a guy you may remember named Harold Camping. Remember that guy? He predicted that the end of the world was going to come in uh, on, on May 21st, 2011. Um, and when it didn't happen on May 21st, 2011, he said, well, it happened spiritually on May 21st, 2011, right? But it's going to be, uh, it's going to be physically seen on October 21st, 2011. And, and that didn't happen either. Right. Um, there was another another kind of kind of scare, or people began talking about this topic again in 2012 because that was the end of the Mayan calendar. Remember that uh, the the Mayans in in uh, Latin America, and they had this calendar they had made, and it went all the way through to 2021. And so people were thinking that it that the world was going to end on December 21st. Uh, I'm sorry, it went all the way to 2012, and people were thinking it was the world was going to end on December 21st, 2012. And that didn't happen either. Right. But the, the Thessalonians seem to be kind uh, of kind of in this in this mindset where when are these things going to happen, right? And Josh told us this morning that there there are signs of of when these things are going to be, right? The trumpet and the call and and, and those kind of things. Uh, but the the Thessalonians are saying when is when is this going to happen? And not only have people looked to the future to see when this is going to happen, but there have been some people, uh, specifically Jehovah's Witnesses and some others, who say that it's already happened, that Jesus already came back. Back in 1914, right, is what Jehovah's Witnesses say, and it was a it was a spiritual coming, right? And if you if you turn just for a second to to Second uh, Thessalonians, turn to Second Thessalonians chapter two, and look at look at verse one. Paul writes, "Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, so the same same topic, right, and our being gathered together to Him." We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And so it seems like in, in Thessalonica, now, now 2 Thessalonians was, was written uh, quite a bit later after 1 Thessalonians, but later on in the history of the church in Thessalonica, there was an issue where um, maybe someone was, was teaching this, or, or it seems like there was even like a counterfeit letter writer going around uh, faking letters from Paul, and, and, and he got all the people in the church all worked up and, and worried because they thought maybe they had missed the, the day of the Lord. Maybe it happened, and it's already happened in the past, and they've missed it, right? Um, just just a, kind of a side note, look over on, on 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look over at verse 17. Just a little kind of historical thing that's kind of neat here. In, in verse 17, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. 
And so apparently there were these people that were writing fake letters saying they were from Paul, and Paul saying, don't let that stuff worry you. Don't get upset by that. Don't listen to someone that says the Lord's already come back. He, the Lord's already returned. That's not true, right? And you know that this letter's for me because here's my signature, basically, right? And so you can tell that I wrote this one. But so the Thessalonians are, 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 are kind of worked up about this, worried about this, thinking about this. It's on their mind. They're wondering, when are these things going to happen? How will we know, right? And Paul says, you don't need someone to, to tell you. You don't need someone to, to write to you about this. But then he goes on and gives them some, some information, some advice about it anyway, okay? And so we want to look at these 11 verses, and I, I think we can see three uh, Three, three things here that Paul's telling them. The first thing he tells them is to be watchful. He says, you need to be watchful. The second thing he tells them is to be faithful. And then the third thing he tells them is to be fruitful. Be watchful, be faithful, and be fruitful. Okay? So in verses one through three, he says, now concerning, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Paul gives two descriptions of what the day of the Lord is going to be like. The first one he says it's going to be like a thief coming in the night. The second one he says it's going to be like a woman in labor pains. Okay? First of all, he says it's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be surprising. Uh, people are, are going to be caught off guard, right? Think back to Matthew 24 that we read at the beginning of the service tonight, um, uh, about this, this same information where, Paul said, where, where Jesus says it's going to be like a thief in the night. And if you, know, if you knew when the thief was coming, you stay up and And he says that his coming will be the same way. It's going to be this, this sudden thing, this... Uh, this um, uh, this, this surprising thing, you're not going to be looking for it. He says it's going to come when people are saying there's peace and security. They're not going to be worried at, at all. They're going to be deluded. There's, they're they're going to be thinking there's, there, there's no accountability. We can just do whatever we want to. There's never going to be um, a, a judgment. The Lord's not coming back. There is no Lord. There is no God. That's not true. We don't have to worry about Jesus coming back. And yet it's going to overtake them in a, in a moment. This is, this, this is a word that's needed, I think, for our day, for our world, right? In, in a day where we're uh, thinking about uh, how, how technologically advanced we are, how we've overcome so, so many things, um, it's this, this, this idea of constant progress, right? We're just moving forward, moving forward, moving forward, moving forward, and, and, and we don't think there's any danger on the horizon. Even, even thinking about something like uh, an issue like climate change, where people are saying this is, this is the danger, this is something major that's going to happen, this, is, this could destroy our world, and, and yet the consensus is, the, the thought is, the view is, this is going to happen, but we, we can do something about it, right? We can prevent this from happening if we just do this and this and this. People think today that, that, that we're in control of our world, we're in control of our destiny, we're in control of, of our future, we're so advanced as a society that, that we don't have to worry about these things, and, and yet that's not true. One commentator says this. He says, those who refuse to acknowledge or obey God live in self-imposed ignorance, not only of the God who is, but also for he who will judge them. 
He reminds me of the, of the days of Noah, right? And Jesus mentioned that in Matthew 24. But in the days of Noah, Noah was warning and he was saying, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. You better get ready, you better prepare, you better, uh, you, you better watch out, it's, it, 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 it's coming, it's on the way. And nobody listened, right? Nobody, uh, nobody gave him any, uh, any respect at all, right? It was, it was uh, refusing to, to listen to him, refusing to believe what he was saying until the first raindrop fell. Right? And no one his family were shut up in the ark. And then judgment came and swept them away. But the whole time leading up to the judgment, there was no fear, no danger, no expectation of, of judgment at all. And Paul says that's how the Lord's coming will be. That's how the day of judgment will, will, will come. The day of the Lord will come. It'll be like a thief in the night. Nobody goes to bed expecting a thief to break in their house that night, right? That's how the Lord's return will be. The second, uh, the second analogy he gives is that he says it's going to be like labor pains on a pregnant woman. And again, this is the, the same type of imagery, right? Uh, you know that, that, that you're pregnant, but you never know when those pains are going to start. You never know when labor's going to start. And so it's a, it's a, similar, uh, a similar point that's being made. But I, but I think there's a slightly, slightly different point being made as well. It's not just that with labor pains, you don't know when they're going to come. It's that with labor pains, once they start, once they begin, once they do come, you know that they're going to progress all the way till the end, right? And the Lord's judgment, the day of the Lord, is something that will happen. It will come. There's no escaping it. No stopping it. So Paul says, be, be watchful, be ready, be expectant, be alert. Warn those that are in danger of destruction. Again, he's talking here about the uh, people that are not believing in, in Jesus that are going to be so surprised. We're going to talk about believers in a second, but warn those that are in danger of destruction. The day of the Lord is coming, and, and, and people have this false security that they're safe. One commentator says the lack of escape for unbelievers is the main point of these three verses. We're to be watchful. Judgment's coming, right? The Lord's patient. The Lord's merciful. The Lord's gracious. But his patience doesn't last forever. There will be a day of reckoning and we should be watchful for it and be ready for it. The second thing he tells the, the, the Thessalonians, though, and he's, he, he kind of shifts here to talking more to the believers in the church, is that they're to be faithful. They're to be faithful. He says the day of the Lord is not going to be a surprise to us, right? It's going to be a surprise to, to those who are not watching for it. But if we're being watchful, it, it won't be a surprise to us. The, the timing of it will be a surprise because we don't know when it's going to happen. But when it comes, it, it won't be a shock to us because we're expecting it, Right? He says that we're children of the light in the day. We're not children of the dark or the night. He says that we're different, and so we should be different, right? We are different, so we should be different. We've been made different, so we should live differently. So then what do we do? He tells us two things that we should do in light of being faithful. He says, number one, don't sleep or, or don't be asleep, but keep awake. And then second, he says, don't be drunk, but be sober. Another way to translate that word sober is self-controlled, right? Don't be, uh, don't be asleep, but keep awake. Don't be drunk, but stay sober. Leon Morris says, to be drunk spiritually is to imbibe too much of the world's way of looking at things and not enough of the way God views reality. 
To be intoxicated with the world's wine is to be numbed to feeling any fear in the present of a coming judgment. This is a danger for us as believers. It's a danger for us as believers. You may have heard the, the saying before that, you know, a fish doesn't know that it's wet because it's just all that he knows, right? And that's a danger for believers because we live in the world that we live in. We live in the world we live in. And it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, not, it, it's, it's easy for us to, to just become a part of that and take that on and, 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 and allow the world's values to seep into our own ways of thinking, right? Think about how much, uh, how much of, of the world's ways of thinking comes into our lives every, every day, right? I don't know if you're on Twitter. I don't know if you're on Facebook. I don't know if you watch a lot of uh, news programs. Not that there's nothing wrong with being on Twitter, nothing wrong with being on Facebook, nothing wrong with watching news. All those things can, can be good and, and are good. But also, there's also a danger of the world seeping into our mentality, seeping into our ways of thinking, seeping into our values. Entertainment, movies, music, things like that. I heard somebody say one time that, you know, you hear a lot of people say that there's a, there's a, a, a lack of discipleship in the church these days and we need to focus on discipleship and making disciples and, and all that's absolutely true, right? But I heard somebody say one time that the problem is not a lack of discipleship. People in the church today are being discipled uh, really, really well, right? The problem is often what we're being discipled by, right? It's not that people aren't being discipled. It's, it's a question of what we're being discipled by. We're being discipled by the wrong things. Back, in the, back, back several years ago, we had a poster up in the youth room. I don't know if it's still there or not, Garth. It, it may, it's probably taken down by now. But there used to be a poster. It wasn't really a poster. It was something that was handmade, just a poster board with the stenciled letters on it or numbers on it. And it said 1 over 168. Right? And that was a reminder to uh, the high school students that were coming to youth group, middle school students that were coming to youth group, that they were in youth group one hour out of 168 hours each week. Right? Especially the ones that, that weren't part of the church, whose families weren't members of the church, were just coming on Wednesday nights. They were there hearing the Bible preached one hour, and they were out in the world 167 hours every single week. And it was a reminder of the importance of studying the, the Bible, of reading the Bible on your own, um, being in the Word, right? That we might be affected by it and not by the world around us. Ask yourself, are you being influenced by the world or are you being influenced by the Word, Right? So that's what we're to do. Don't sleep, but keep awake. Don't be drunk, but be sober, be self-controlled. But how do we do that? Well, he tells us uh, down in verse 8. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So how do we do this? How do we guard against the world's influence in our, in our lives? How do we guard against the world's values coming into our values? He tells us, put on the breastplate of faith and love. Put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. One commentator again says, we are children of the day, yet the church exists in the midst of darkness and should expect that they will come in conflict with it. They need then to be prepared for such conflict. 
How do we be prepared for conflict with the darkness around us, with the world around us, by putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation? I don't know if you notice, but these are defensive pieces of armor, right? These are not something that we attack with. This is, these are things that protect us from what's coming at us. Again, uh, this commentator says, putting on the armor is not a matter of doing something new, but rather a matter of continuing in one's original commitment. We're called to live right now in light of the past, what the Lord has done in our lives, right? Because of who we are, we're children of the light, not of the darkness. We're also called to live right now in light of the future. We live right now knowing that Jesus is already on his throne. We live right now knowing that Jesus is already the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's already the judge of all the earth, right? When the Lord comes, when the day of the Lord happens and the Lord comes in judgment, that's going to be a surprise to those who are not believing in him or trusting in him. That shouldn't come as a surprise to us because we know that he is already the judge. He's already the king. He's already enthroned, and he should be enthroned over our lives. We should be following him, bowing to him, submitting ourselves to him. Many will be surprised when they see him for who he is, but we shouldn't be surprised when we see him for who he is because we already know who he is. We hold fast in faith to the gospel that we've trusted in. We continue to love one another and those around us knowing that he first loved us. And we hold tight to the hope of salvation. And notice this, there's one little word here, but it's a really, really important word. He doesn't say that we hold tight to the hope for salvation, right? He says the hope of salvation. And that's a little word, of and for, but it's a big difference. It's a big difference. It, it, this, this hope of salvation, it's not a wish and a prayer that when that day comes, we will measure up, right? It's, not a, it's not, a, not, a, not a hope and a prayer that in that day when Jesus comes, we'll be able to bargain with him and we'll be able to, 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 to find a way to escape the judgment that's coming. It's not that at all. It's a confident and firm, strong trust that Jesus is coming and that when he does, he's going to bring the fullness of our salvation with him. We're going to see him face to face. Sin will be done away with, and we will be as he is. Paul's point then, one commentator says, is that the way we should expectantly wait for Christ's return is not by trying to calculate the time of that return, nor by being carelessly unaware of our relationship with God, but by thinking and living like a genuine Christian characterized by faith, love, and hope right now. Why do, why do we do this? He tells us in verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. The reason we can trust in Jesus now, the reason we cannot be in fear at his coming, the reason that we can, uh, we can, we can live our lives now as if Jesus is, is our judge and our king is because we've not been destined for wrath. We've not been destined for judgment. We're not destined for God's wrath because Jesus has died for us already. 
And so he's already experienced our wrath in our place. He's already taken our judgment on himself instead of on us. And so there's no f- dread or fear when we look to his coming. Only an expectant longing. Whether awake or asleep, he says, we will live with him. Those who have fallen asleep will rise first. Those who are still here will meet him in the air. So he tells us to be watchful. He tells us to be faithful. And then the last thing, verse 11, he tells us to be fruitful. So I don't know if you remember, uh, but back when uh, Harold Camping was making his predictions back in 2011, uh, one thing that his followers were doing is selling their houses, cashing out their retirement funds, getting rid of everything they owned, taking the money and buying billboards all over the country, right? Putting up billboards about the, the, the final days coming, uh, May the, what was it, May 21st, 2011, whatever that day was. People were selling everything they had, right? And they were saying, the Lord's coming. We don't have to work anymore. We don't have to be, uh, we don't have to be uh, doing anything. We can just sit back and wait for the Lord to come. And Paul says, absolutely not, right? You know the Lord's coming. You should be watchful. You should be expectant. You should be looking for that day. You should be faithful in the meantime, trusting in Jesus, trusting that when he does come, that you'll be receiving the hope of your salvation, not his judgment, because he's taken his judgment already on himself. But he says, in the meantime, you should be fruitful. In the meantime, you should be, you should be working. In the meantime, you should be bearing fruits. Look at verse 11. He says, therefore, encourage one another, just as you are doing. Encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Don't sell everything you got and sit around and wait. Continue being active, building one another up, reminding each other of the kingdom that we're part of and the king that's reigning over it right now. Helping one another to live lives that value the things of value in the kingdom. Living lives that are submissive to the king himself. Reminding one another that whatever the difficulties we have in this life they're not ultimate, right? And, and you know, when we say stuff like that, we're not downplaying trials and difficulties in this life. Things are really bad in this life sometimes, right? And things are, things are, are, are worse for others than, than, than for some others, right? And things are, are, are worse for us at some times and better for us at other times. We don't want to downplay that at all. We don't want to act like those things are not true. Things can be really, really bad in this life. And yet our hope is, our trust is, our foundation is, this life is not ultimate. This life matters. This life is important. This life is not ultimate. This life is not We should be reminding each other of that, that whatever those trials, difficulties are, they're not ultimate. Reminding one another that the ways of this world are not decisive. Helping each other to live even in the midst of the darkness. Helping each other to live as children of the light, even in the midst of the darkness, knowing that one day the light of the world will appear. Let's be watchful. Let's be faithful. Let's be fruitful. And let's be longing for the day of the Lord. Safe, not fearful, not dreading it, 
knowing that when he comes, our sins have been done away with already. Our guilt has been taken away already. And we have safety in our Savior. One commentator uh, that I read a long time ago, uh, not even about this passage, he was writing about Psalm 2. But, he, but he's talking about the day of the Lord. And he says, in that day, there will be no refuge from Christ. There will only be refuge in Christ. No refuge from Christ, only refuge in Christ. And if you're in him, then you have that refuge. Let's be faithful, living as those that are in Christ, encouraging one another to live that way. And let's be sharing that good news, that good gospel with those around us that they may not be surprised, that they may not be taken aback when that day comes as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the goodness of your word. God, we thank you that you're our God, that you've made yourself our God. God, we thank you that you've taken our guilt away from us. Father, you've taken the shame of our sin away from us. Our sins, our guilt have been punished on Jesus as he's taken that for us. And God, because of that, I pray that you would help us to be longing and expectant and hopeful for the day of the Lord. God, we pray that Jesus would come back today. And yet, God, I'm so thankful that you didn't send Jesus back in 1996. Because I didn't trust the gospel in 1997. And so, God, I pray between now and that day, you will be using us, that those in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, our friends will come to know you and that they would have this hope as well. And God, we thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.